Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome back to episode five of Wrestling With Tomorrow. I am your host, Mike Kinney, and it is my pleasure to be with you today. We are in the midst of Halloween season, which is, again, I've talked about this numerous times just on this podcast alone, but to be honest with you, I get I get crazy about it. Fall colors, um, you know, corn mazes, all that fun stuff that really leads up to the day of the year, October 31st and Halloween. Uh, we were doing a little um, costume shopping with my kids earlier today, and Boy, I'm telling you, if you haven't already gotten out there to get some costumes, you better hurry because things are getting picked over. Uh, we're going to end up finding ourselves ordering some stuff online just because, honestly, we waited too long. And we've already been to the Halloween stores like four times, and we just couldn't commit. So <laughs> lots of uh, lots of choices out there. But um, this will be the first year that my daughter, who is now officially in high school, uh, she will not be trick-or-treating. She's actually going to be handing out candy at my house. So we always decorate for Halloween at my house. And then like on Halloween day, I can't turn on any of the lights or any of the decorations because then people think that we're handing out candy. And we haven't been because my kids haven't, they've they've always been the trick-or-treat age. So yeah, it's this will be cool though this year. Everything gets to be on. I'm going to buy up a bunch of candy. Her and her friends are going to hang out, watch some horror movies. While uh, we, my wife and I will take our, our boys out trick-or-treating out on the town here. So in our neighborhood, our neighborhood that we have does really, really good. They, um, it's always super busy. And uh, like the first couple of years we lived here, and I don't even think it's slowed down since then, but it almost looks like something right out of a movie, like that busy, the kids running around and it's pretty cool. So like I said, very excited for this Halloween season. You know, if you want to talk horror movies a little bit too, I'm I'm extremely excited for. There's a lot of new stuff coming out on Netflix right now. There's one that's coming out with one of the Wayans brothers, uh, the Curse of Something Hollow, Bridge Hollow, or anyway, essentially every Halloween decoration comes alive and tries to kill everybody. Right up my alley, folks. Looks awesome. And of course, Halloween Ends is coming out as well. So this should be the final entry into the Halloween franchise that supports the Jamie Lee Curtis angle, I guess. Not totally sure, but let's be honest. None of these movies are ever going to stop getting made because they all make a pile of money and uh, <laughs> they're going to live on forever. But if you think about that, Friday the 13th, we haven't had a Friday the 13th movie since 2009. This is the longest run from movie to movie that in between each Friday the 13th movie. This is the longest um, lull they've ever had. So at this point, it's 2022. What, 13 years since we've had a Friday the 13th film? So, hey, see, that's why I should look 13 years, Friday the 13th. They missed a perfect opportunity. Golly, I'm telling you, perfect opportunity for some marketing. I think they missed the ball on that one. But anyway, I also checked out, so some of you may or may not know, I, I'm a huge Rob Zombie fan. I always have been. I'm just super into his his artistic ability and the constant fact that he's always touring. He's always got a project going on. I'm just, I admire him very much. Not the greatest movie maker though, all right? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say that right out of the gate. His first two movies, House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, I loved them. Those two were great. And I think that they hold up really well. The 
the horror community really gathers around those movies. I mean, they really are good films. Now, everything after that was has been a dumpster fire. His newest film is the first movie he's ever done that's rated PG. Everything else has been R-rated, at, at a minimum R-rated. So he, I knew he was a big Monsters fan, and I was really hoping that he was going to do the Monsters right. You know, like reboot them, do something. The first mistake he made, he casted his wife as the lead for Lily Monster. I mean, she is not a good actress at all, and he she is in the forefront of every one of his movies and that stuff needs to stop because dang. And I think honestly, he, I couldn't finish the monsters movie and I'll tell you why it's too long. It's almost two hours long and I believe it's on Netflix right now. So if you want to check it out by all means, artistically, the visuals of the, of the movie are really, really cool. It's very colorful. The costumes are great. The plot is horrid i mean it is a horrible movie of course we have his his wife up front and then he cast about five people to play multiple roles so he would just throw makeup on one of them and they would play another character his wife included she played some news anchor and um yeah it's just what a bummer i couldn't finish the movie that's the first rob zombie movie um, that i've never actually sat all the way through and finished and i'm not planning to I did buy the Blu-ray because I want to sit down and I want, he, there's a director's commentary. So he'll sit there and he'll talk about, you know, the ins and outs of the movie, making it and things like that. I'll watch it with the commentary on here at some point, probably in the winter time when I've got nothing else to do, but I can't sit through that to try to actually enjoy that movie. And I always give him benefit of the doubt. I really, really do. But man, stop making movies, please just go back to making music full time movies just aren't aren't rob zombies thing and that hurts me to say because i'm i really am a huge fan so but hey if i was you know if i was doing something that people didn't like if i was trying to fix your car and messing it up every single time you'd say mike stop being a mechanic and just go back to uh, making a podcast or doing whatever other things you're doing writing books just don't fix cars because you're you're not good at it you know tough love folks tough love all right so happy Halloween, everybody. My guest today is a really, really good friend of mine. I met him a few years back, and we get into the background of that. And um, I really am excited to be able to share his journey with you. Now, again, keep in mind, everybody that I interview on this podcast is for a very specific reason. Some of them, I mean, frankly, just have, have had to overcome so much adversity, and I want to know how they did it. And are there tools that they used that all of us listening and watching can use in our everyday life? Hans has got this exceptional story, and I often joked with him about how he literally has lived um, in the American dream, like the, the cliche American dream. It's totally him, an immigrant story, um, a couple of times, to be honest with you. We'll get into the minutia of, of all of that, but really, um, good friend of mine continues to be. I knew that I had to have his story on here. It's just, it's so good, and um, he's such a great person, and I hope that comes through in the interview a little bit because, really, good people are hard to find, and uh, Hans is, he's, he's good people. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Here it is, my interview with Hans Anderson. 
Well, Hans Anderson is with me, ladies and gentlemen, and I, a, a dear friend of mine, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for finally agreeing to be with me on this episode of, of my podcast. No, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. This is pretty cool. So what I want to do is I want to introduce you, but I want you, <laughs> I want you to do it So because you can do a better job at it. So introduce yourself and really like let these listeners and, and viewers know how you and I met. Yeah, sure. So uh, like Mike said, my name is Hans Anderson. Um, nothing really, I don't really have a claim to fame per se. So other than um, who I am, I'm a friend of Mike's. Uh, Mike and I met, I want to say the beginning part of 2020. So about two years ago. And uh, we met through UPS. And uh, since then, we've both changed jobs and neither of us are there anymore. We both still enjoy our time at UPS and love it, but we've moved on from UPS, but not from each other. Yeah, and we should be clear. We we met through UPS, but not because somebody delivered a package to the other person. It was because we both worked there um, as salespeople. And I'm trying to remember, I think at the time I was leading a sales team and you were moving back to the United States from Australia. And we'll get to all that in just a, in just a bit. But you were you would begin working in, in the hub at UPS and they quickly realized that you've got um, a, a management skill about you and they moved you to sales. And so I believe at that time you began working on my team because I had an, an open spot. So you were really helping me out while they trained you in, in sales. Uh, so you were helping me with my open territory and that's really, I think how the relationship began. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I was, um, working with another friend of ours and I was um, in one of the, what do you call it? One of those um, temporary positions waiting yeah. for a permanent spot. And you had had somebody that was a permanent, got a permanent spot covering the Duluth area. And um, they were just going to go to their training. And so I was going to cover for six weeks while they're doing some training. Yeah. And it's just like anything in life. And it's where like we knew, pretty quickly that we were kindred spirits, you and I, and we got along extremely well and we've, we've stayed connected along the way. But here's the, here's the key elements to this. You have such a great background and a great story. And when we look at the, the overarching theme, especially for this season one, for this podcast, it really has to do a lot with managing change and chasing a dream and having to pivot along the way. And, and frankly, you exemplify all of that. And the guests that I'm having on this podcast don't have to have been in, in any kind of spotlight per se, but their background needs to make sense enough to bring on here and just help these listeners and viewers have the opportunity to listen to different people and how they've managed change. And I think that's so incredibly important. And and you have a, a history of having done that and done it and having done it very well. And so it would be a crime for us not to exploit that information for uh, for my following here. So, go ahead. No, I was just going to say for sure. And um, it's funny, like when I think of it myself, I don't see it. But then if I talk to somebody like yourself, then you see it. And so then. I hear it from your point of view and I'll go, oh, I guess, yeah, you're probably right. There has been a lot of change in my life, but it's something that you kind of only notice if you look at it in hindsight. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, probably. Between that and you being very modest, I think that that's a, a recipe totally. for what we're looking at here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I also want everybody to know, so as I have been navigating change since you and I have met, you have been this constant um, Jiminy Cricket to me. You've been like my my conscience. You've been someone that I can rely on, uh, for, especially when I'm making decisions professionally. You're, you've certainly been um, someone that's been in my corner all along the way, and um, it's it's really meant a lot to me. And so it's just it's just a great honor to finally have you on this show. And uh, let's dive in. What do you say? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right, so let's uh, let's start from the beginning, as as any story happens. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Yeah, so I actually um, grew up about 20 miles, 20, 30 miles north of Salt Lake um, in a city called Kaysville. Um, funny enough, my, my parents grew up there, and my grandma grew up there. And so, like, my grandma went to the same high school as my parents, and my sister my older sister went to the same high school as my parents and my grandma. And right after her senior year, we moved to Minnesota. Um, so my sister's senior year, uh, my dad got a new job out in Minneapolis and he would spend 10 days in Minneapolis and then fly back to Utah for three or four. And he did that for nine months. Um, and I did that. He did that when I was in eighth grade. And so that my sister could finish her senior year. And then when I was 14, we drove out to uh, Minnesota, and that was before the time of Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook. And so, like, I didn't really keep in touch with many of my friends. Like, we moved, and I just made completely new friends because I couldn't Snapchat that Snapchat and Instagram them and tell them what what was happening. Yeah. So, but so that's you- so that's my childhood. That's like you know, I grew up. I grew up. Um, on one, I, I could walk one way 15 minutes to my mom's parents, the other way 15 minutes to my dad's parents. I grew up in the same small town as both my grandparents. All my cousins were in the same county or the next county over. Um, and then when I was 14, we moved 21 hours away. And so all of a sudden, I wasn't near my uh, grandparents or my cousins. And the other thing to add to that, um, as Mike knows, uh, faith is a big thing for me, and I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And at that time, growing up in school, like nine out of ten kids were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Flip it, move to Minnesota, maybe one out of ten kids is that. So that was another big change for me, too. So there were a few changes. So then I... Um, so hold on, I'm going to slow you down because this is a huge deal. You're literally picking up and moving halfway across the country. And it, 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 in an age that is... So were you in ninth grade, I'm going to guess? Eighth, ninth grade? Yeah, we moved the summer after my eighth grade year. Okay, so going into high school is a tough age. Walk me through what was going through your mind and how you adapted, certainly within that first, I don't know, six months or so. What was that, what was that like for you? So my dad and I were actually pretty excited um, and I kind of struggled in seventh and eighth grade. So I was kind of ready for a change and I was kind of excited. Um, I don't know about my siblings, but personally, my dad and I were like, hey, this is good. This is going to be fun. And I met some some boys through my youth group when I moved to Minnesota. Uh, 
you know, like this is again, this is when I was 14. I'm now 42. I had both of them over for dinner the past month. One lives in Arizona, one lives in Washington, and they were both, you know, I'm still friends with them today. And this was after I moved to Minnesota. So change can be hard, but like, I loved it. It was great. I'm good. You get through high school. Um, and you, you went to the same high school for four years, I'm assuming. Now, funny enough, I okay. went to yeah, <laughs> I, I went to Nicollet Junior High for ninth grade, and we were on the border of our school district. And um, I had more. Fr- I had some church friends at Prior Lake, and so I said, "Mom, I'd rather go to Prior Lake." And she's like, "Well, you just started here, and this school is going to take you to Burnsville, and you have friends there." I go, "Nope, don't want to go there." So I went from eighth grade in Utah to ninth grade at a different at one junior high, then to Prior Lake High, and so I spent three years in Prior Lake and then graduated. Okay. What did you do after, right after, right after high school? So I finished high school in June and in September, I was called on a mission for our church and I went to survive a two year mission in Southern California in Anaheim. Okay. So I was there for two years. Big change. Yep. Um, What was the most helpful thing that you were experiencing to help you get through some of that change? Um. I guess maybe the, even just the fact that every most of, I had we were always with a partner or companions as we call them on our mission, and so I was never really alone. I only had two companions longer than six weeks. Um, other than that, I always had a new companion every six weeks, so I was always getting to know somebody different and and living with them and being with them, and so you just have to learn to cope and adapt and. You know, just learn about new people. Okay. Um, keep going. Did you go to Did you go to college at this time? No, you didn't, right? No, I didn't. So um, I finished my two year mission um, in two thousand one, and um, I met a, I met a girl on my mission, and um, we kept in touch with letters. And then um, I went. I finished my mission in August. And in uh, December, I flew out to Australia, where my where this girl was that I met, and um, proposed to her. And all right, hold on, hold on. This, <laughs> this, is a, this is a big part of the story. So you meet a girl who was all she was doing her mission as well, right? So that you met her around the same time in the United States. Correct. And she was from Australia, come here to, to yep. do that piece. So, um. Obviously, there was there was some attraction there, and and things begin to move forward. But moving to a different country is not the same as moving from Utah to Minnesota. Yeah, but well, I didn't move to a different country at that time. You didn't, okay? No. So at that time, like we had just finished our missions, we had only like written written to each other in letters, and we knew that like we liked each other. Okay. Like when I say liked each other. We had we didn't, really didn't discuss anything further than "Hey, how are you?" because we were pretty focused on missionary work sure. in, in our letters. And I finished, and she came out to see me and my family, and then I went out and saw her and her family. And then about a year later, we got married in Minnesota, and we lived in Minnesota for about three years. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but then after after we got married and lived here, 
We were probably here for two and a half years, and I could kind of tell she was missing home and she was missing family. And I was young. I was 25, and I thought, Australia, I've been there a few times now with my wife and for other things. And you know, like when you're a kid and you read National Geographic or you read about other countries, Australia is always one of those cool places that you'd be like, ooh, I want to live there. They've got some weird animals. Or Kangaroos and koalas, man. It's got to be cool, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I was like young, 25, and thought, man, that would be fun. That would be an adventure. And so I told her, I said, let's live there. And um, I applied for like a permanent residency because she was already a, a citizen. And then it was granted like really fast. And so then we moved there in... We'd been married three years, just just over three years, and we moved there at the end of 2005. Did you have any children at that time? One. So, okay. So we had a two-year-old. A two-year-old. Also a change, by the way. If, if, if you're listening out there and you've <laughs> never had children, let me just tell you something. Your whole life changes when you have kids, um, believe it or not. So, okay, now you're in Australia, right? And and talk to me about maybe the first six months because it's it's a different culture, right? It's similar, but it's a different place. And you're away from your family. And just, just walk me through some of what was going through your mind during that time. Yeah, so it's like you said, it's very similar to the fact that they like a lot of U.S. pop culture and they like a lot of that. But other than that, like everything else is different. Um. And funny enough, Mike, one of the one of the constants and the similar things in Australia. So before I, the day I got back from my honeymoon, I started a job as a as a loader at UPS. So I was loading at UPS, um, and I started that like right when we got back from our honeymoon, and I did that for three years. And the only reason I stopped doing that was because we moved to Australia. And then when we moved there, I connected with UPS and I worked there for about four months. However, the only reason I left that was because all they had me doing was unloading air cans at four o'clock in the morning. And I thought, I can't keep doing this, guys. Yeah. But in saying that, for like four to six months, I still had UPS, which was something I had there. Um, the other constant I had was my wife and my daughter. And then, like, you know, I knew her family. And people from, and I met people from church. Um, other than that, you know, we lived in a small one bedroom, I want to say apartment, but it wasn't an apartment. My in laws have like a small one bedroom house in their backyard. Okay. And so we lived, we lived in that. And um, my wife tells me that I was probably depressed, but I didn't see it until after she pointed it out to me. But I was probably, it probably led to, got to that point because we were there for almost two years and I didn't expect to be in that, <laughs> in that house for two years. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so how did you cope when, when she points out the fact that you were depressed, how do you think looking back on that, that you were coping with that at the time? I don't know. I just, I just look at life and think, Hey, one step forward. Sure. Um, she says that, but at the same time, I remember having conversations with my mother-in-law and my mother-in-law saying, you know, you're really positive. I never hear you complain. I never hear you get upset. You know, you're very positive for what you're going through. So, um, yeah, look, I just tried to think if it's if I can't control it, 
what's there to complain about? Sure. But I can control it. So I just need to be able to be positive about what I'm doing. It's a good, uh, it's a good way to live. To be honest with you, your blood pressure is probably really low because of it. <laughs> I had, so one time while I was working um, at a company called TNT in Australia, they're the same type of company as UPS. And I had a really good friend um, and my manager called me the low reactor. And yeah. he was the high reactor. <laughs> and, and my manager says to me, he says, you know, one of your customers could be ready to leave or they could be falling apart. And I'd ask you about them and you'd say, oh yeah, Jeff, they're doing great. They're de- They're fine. And he says, your friend here, he says, nothing could be wrong with his customer and the world will be falling apart. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I'm probably f- closer to the high reactor level. So I, I totally get where he's coming from. Yeah, I'm a low reactor. <laughs> you definitely are. <laughs> All right. So, how long did you? Uh, how long did you live in Australia? We lived there for 15 years. 15 years. So, okay. And you had a couple more kids along the way, right? We had three more. Three more. So, 15 years and four kids later, you eventually decided to go back to the United States which in and of itself was a process because I think um, probably even five years or six years into it, I was trying to get my wife to come back. If you ask my wife, she would probably tell you the day I got there, I was trying to get back, which isn't true. But um, Sydney's expensive and it was always hard to get ahead. And so, you know, you talk about that American dream. One of the things that my mother-in-law always wanted for us was to own a home and to get a little bit more financially secure which we were always chasing our tails in Australia, trying to do that. And um, so that was one of my main motivations or pushes to move back. But my wife didn't want to. And so we came to visit uh, my family in 2019 in, I want to say, yeah, it would have been the end of the end of July through August, because I remember we were here for my wife's birthday. And my father-in-law says to my wife before we left, he says, what if you get an impression that you need to live there? My wife says, well, that's not going to happen. That's not true. And he says, well, what if you feel that? She's like, well, I'll tell them that it's wrong. Well, every impression it is, I'll say, nope, that's wrong. Well, funny enough, my wife did have that impression. And when we came back, she said, we need to move there. I don't know why, but we need to live there. And... That was the first time she said that. So I grabbed a hold of that and I took it 110% and I was like, we're going. And so from the time we were on holiday in August and we got back, we didn't want to tell her parents right away because the first September, the first Sunday in September is Father's Day in Australia. It's not in June, it's in September. So she didn't really want to tell her dad on Father's Day, hey dad, just letting you know I'm going to move. So we waited till after Father's Day. And then we told them, and then we bought a ticket for me, and then I quit my job, and then October 24th, um, which is like two months later, I moved to Minnesota. And I moved without my family, and my wife and I were maybe more presumptuous than we should have been, and we thought, it'll take a month or two, three months, and Hans will find a job, and once I do that, then I'll say, hey, wife, I got a job. I found a place to live. Let's get some tickets and have the kids come out. 
I I love that part of the story because, and, and you're right, there's such an American dream element to it. And that's one of the things I wanted to emphasize here is if you really do think about this, you'd been, you've been away for so long and, but you created something away from the United States and you were, you were trying to, I mean, ideally you were trying to find a better life for your family, not any different than any immigrants did in the early days of the United States. This whole country was built on immigration and, and that's the American dream is to be able to move here and, and do better for your children and your family. And so when I think about that and, and here you are coming back with, you know, your wife's native Australian, and now you've got three children that were born there um, and a fourth that was born in the States, but you're really just making it happen and trying to find work and grow your family and do what's right for them. The other thing I want to talk about, and I don't want to make this about me, but it's my podcast and I can do whatever I want. Please. Um, <laughs> the element of you leaving everything behind and finding work before you bring your family. I don't even know if I've ever told you this before, but um, I was born in Iowa. All right. And I eventually moved to Minnesota and ended up growing. I'm in, still in Minnesota. I've grown up here most of my life. We moved here when I was about five or six years old. My dad worked for Hormel, Hormel Foods, the company that makes the best canned lunch meat in the world, my friend, known as Spam. Yep. Um, <laughs> he worked at a plant in southern Iowa in a town called Ottumwa, which we live just outside of it. And the the Hormel strike happened. And my dad was never, you know, he never crossed the picket line. He he went and found work while everybody else was on strike. And you know, away from that, I don't want to say the word scab, but I'm going to, I don't know how else to say it. My dad was not a scab and he was very proud of that. So he found other work. Eventually, at the end of the strike, that plant closed, and they looked at all these guys that still wanted to come back after all of that, and they said, look, you guys can either move to Atlanta, Georgia, or you can move to Austin, Minnesota, which is where their corporate office was. So my dad left us behind, my mom and me and my newborn sister, while he moved to Minnesota and began working, and, and he lived with some friends and just started saving up money and eventually found us an apartment so that we could all be together um, less than a year later. I tell that story because it's so similar to how you did things. And, and I just I have so much respect for it because I remember what it was like uh, missing my dad going through that as a kid. No doubt your family missed you. But as a kid, I also knew that he was doing it for the betterment of the family. And so I just sucked it up and drove on and eventually settled in and the rest is history. So your kids were also navigating a significant amount of change. Talk to me about when you were here and they were there. How did you stay in touch? What was the, there had to have been some kind of cadence because if I know my family, they would have been like this time every day, we are going to communicate FaceTime, whatever it is. So talk to me just a little bit about um, what that was like and, and what, what was kind of going through your mind at the time being by yourself back here away from all of them. Sure. So, so before I do that, just to back up, I, I think the one thing that I say is as much as we call it the American dream, Australians will also call it the Australian dream. And I'll kind of always have this little guilty spot that we couldn't make it in Australia and that we couldn't figure it out. Because my wife would always say to me, if we weren't American, we wouldn't think about going to America. If you were Australian, we would have no option and we would just figure it out and we'd live here. And it's true. Um, we would have, but, um, well, the marketing works better. If you let me just push this American dream thing forward, it works a lot better. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, but like, like I said, needless to say we're here. And so, and to, to add a little bit of context to what you're 
asking about. So when I when I left, my parents live here in Minnesota. So does my brother and his sister and my sister. And so I stayed with my parents. Um, and my, at the time, my brother and his wife were here and they had, um, it was two years ago. So they would have had a six-year-old, a two-year-old and two newborn twins. So that's where I moved to. And then my wife and my four kids were living with her parents. And so I, the cadence of how we called, it's funny. I realized that my two oldest who were teenagers, they really weren't good at communicating with me unless I Snapchatted them. I had never used Snapchat and I don't anymore. But for that seven months, I used Snapchat because that's the only way I could talk to them because then they would Snapchat me back. Um, and then I got streaks, which I never knew what streaks were. And then I got some streaks with my daughter. But since she's been here, I don't need anyone. I don't need them anymore because she's here. <laughs> but my, and my two younger kids, they were more frequent with um, talking to me and they would call me on my wife's phone and call me on that way because they didn't have phones. Um, and then as it got closer, you know, like as I was, when we'll get into it, but as I was working night shift at UPS on my way home, I would call and we would drive it on my way home and di different stuff. We would, the cadence would change and the way we communicated would change. And sometimes it was hard to catch some of the kids because of the time zones, because of it was different. Um, you know, they were sleeping and I was not. And different well, the, ways. the time change is radically different, right? I mean, it's night and literally night and day different. Yes. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And that's why, when, like I said, when I was working at UPS, I would drive home at like four o'clock in the morning and they were up. So it was perfect. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's not ideal for me because I was awake at night, but it was ideal for them because it was the same time zone. It was that they were awake. Sure. And also, this was. This, there's a pandemic in the middle of all of this, right? Well, there wasn't when I left, and we didn't plan on a pandemic. Um, I don't know anybody planned on it, but we didn't. Like, like I said, we thought I left in October. At the end of October, we kind of hoped we'd be together before Christmas or after Christmas. And looking back on it, that was highly ambitious of me. Um, and I hadn't found work at Christmas time yet. I'd had a few good interviews. I'd had a few possibilities, but I hadn't yet. So um, what I did was I went to UPS and I applied and I told my wife, I said, I'm just going to load some trucks and lose some weight so that you'll like me better when you get to Minnesota and you'll think I'm 21 again. And um, I went and applied and they said, we're done for Christmas. Come back January 6th. Um, so I, which was okay, but I was literally crushed that I was going to miss Christmas with my family. So that was a challenging holiday. But um, so you spent that Christmas by yourself, or how? No, I I was still with my parents and my sure. ne nieces and nephews and my my brother and sisters, but not with my own family. Sure. Um, and again, because of the time zone. It's not like I could call them on Christmas because my Christmas was the day after Christmas for them. Right. Right. So, yeah. Anyways. Um, but yeah, so I started working at UPS and um, then I start. I, I was loading and then they made me a supervisor. And then before I was only there for literally four weeks, five weeks. And they had me in sales because I, told them enough times that I was better at sales than loading boxes. 
It's a hard gig, man. It's the, um, loading those trucks is hard. Well, they didn't even have me load. I I was a supervisor, so I was running an area, and well, the so guys I was still hard. It's a the, it's a big job. The guys I was running told me they appreciated what I did in that three weeks. Um, but then they put me in sales, and um, I found an apartment. I got our lease. Um, we bought tickets for my family, and then that's right when the pandemic started to take a little bit of traction and um i remember just being at a fast food restaurant in the in the parking lot and my wife like called me and she says did you hear what happened and i says what do you mean did i hear what happened and she says um the flights out of um, australia have been canceled and our prime minister has put a travel travel ban on um anybody leaving or coming australia and I said, that's fine. I said, you all got US passports. We made sure you'll be fine. No problem. And um, I did, my heart did sink at the time though. And I was like, what the heck's going to happen? So we actually, um, that w we had flights with uh, Virgin and we canceled them. No, we didn't cancel them. We kept them because we couldn't cancel them yet. And we bought new flights with um, United because um, United's hadn't been canceled. And then, um, in the end, they were canceled as well. And um, my, I told my wife, you've got U.S. passports. They'll let you out. Go. She packed up the house or as much of the house as she could. They all had two suitcases. I think they left my in-laws house in shambles. <laughs> and they went to the airport and they turned them away and they told them, no, you can't leave. And I was like on FaceTime with all my kids while my wife was trying to talk to these border patrol people to, to leave and it just didn't work. And so she came home and then for the next, I want to say three or four weeks, I applied three different times to the U to the Australian government. And the third time I third, it was third time lucky. The third time I applied, it was approved that they could leave. And, um, well, then we had to pick when they were going to fly out and we picked a date that was the day before my son's birthday. And so they flew out the day before my son's birthday to be here and they went to um, the airport and the same people that stopped them from coming were still there, the same border patrol people. And I recognized my wife and she said, the look on their face was like, I don't want to turn you away again. And she showed them the email and she's like, no, no, it's been approved this time. And they're like, okay, go, go get out of here. Yeah so yeah so they came out and it, it ended up being uh all seven almost eight months that we were apart i remember the day i remember yep. the day they came back in fact i remember you saying to me um i think i'll just go to the airport and pick them up and then just finish up work or i had to convince you to take time off to spend with your family i uh, because that's first of all that's just who you are you're an extremely hard worker but I knew you were pumped and I was so excited for you. And I thought, man, if I was in his shoes, I know I would want to have some time off to see them again. So if he doesn't take time off, I'm going to force him out of here. Like you just need to go. I remember telling my, I think it was my manager at the time. No, he wasn't. He was my former manager at the time, but you were working for him. Yes. And uh, I, I had told him like, man, we need, please, <laughs> please well, let him kick him out of I, here. I remember calling him and I was like, Hey, do you think that I could take that day off? And he's like, do I think you could? 
uh, yes, you should. Please take that day off. <laughs> yeah, he was always good about that kind of stuff. But uh, yes, he was. Um. So yeah, I, I just I remember the photos and I remember all of it. It was you were so excited to finally have them all back, and um, we were all pumped for you. Yeah, and so to add to that, Mike, when we moved to Australia when I was twenty five, we really didn't have any money when we moved to Australia, and all we had money to do was to buy a new car in Australia. When we moved back from Australia to America, um, you know, like I said, I had a place ready to move into. I had furnishings. I had beds. I had everything for my family to set up. I had uh, cars so that we were ready. However, the money that we had still saved, um, because of the pandemic, the pan um, it, usually the Australian currency is at like around 72 75%. So I knew I was going to lose a quarter of my money because when you do the exchange rate, it's only a 72%, 72% Australian. Because of the pandemic, it went down to 50. So I was going to lose half of the money. And so my dad was like, whatever you need, let me know. Don't change your money right now. And the same concept, when we had to buy tickets and a deposit and more tickets, my mom was like, what do you need? Let me buy it for you. And, um, and they did. So long story short, I, I meticulously made like an Excel, an Excel spreadsheet of everything I owe my mom, and I paid her back everything. And um, we waited until it went back up to 72 before we converted our money, so we didn't lose a half of our money. Smart. <laughs> But there was some pretty scary times, and I don't cry very often, but there was some times during that seven months when I didn't know when I was going to see my family. Yeah. It yeah. was tough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do remember it, it, uh, you didn't work for me, or we didn't work together during that, uh, during that entire time, but I do remember it was – it was weighing on you. You just, you, um, you process things a little bit different than I do externally. <laughs> Again, back to that low reactor piece. Yep, yep. But I knew I could tell that you were just a little bit off and, and I, I knew what was going on. And so I was trying to make you as comfortable working with these new people in a new territory for some, you know, whatever reason I was trying to keep you busy. Well, I had, um, as you know, when you start a new job, they you go through training yeah. And so I had six weeks of training and I finished that training. And one of the um, comments that the trainer made back to your old manager, who was my manager at the time, was he says, I, Hans was more positive than most people in the class and more participative. And he was going through this whole change and this whole process without his family. And he says, I just couldn't believe how positive and happy he was with the, the circumstances that he was going through. And I was, I said, well, that's nice of him to say that. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Do you, cause like, again, you're not unlike some of these other folks that I've interviewed. You've got this personality about you. That's just so incredibly calming. And um, it, it's like, it draws people in. Do you, was it just me that gets drawn in or is it, uh, or do you have to swap people away because you draw on so many folks like a, like a fly to a light? I don't think that I do. Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, if you ask my wife, I'm not, if she thinks I'm a grumpy person. <laughs> um, well, I don't know about that. But um, look, like I said before, I 
at the same time as when my family was away, I was living with my parents and I could see how my dad would navigate things versus how I would navigate things. And you could see the difference in people. And um, not that my dad navigates things horribly, it's just different. Because if people process things differently, like you said, and people go through change different or go through things differently. And um, I don't know. I guess I just feel like what's the point of being negative when you don't, when you like, I just generally try to smile and be upbeat and happy because I don't like being negative. Sure. So before we, I dive into trying to pull some tools out of you for these, uh, for these followers of ours to be able to, take with them and uh, take along their own journeys. They got to hear the end of the story because it does, this has a happy ending. So they come, your family comes back, you are in an apartment and open it up for the rest of them. Let, let us know. Yeah, uh, sure. So my family came back. Um, I have a picture of them at the airport. And then I have a picture of um, us, uh, the house that I had leased. And um, oh, that's right. It was an apartment. I'm sorry. I yeah, misspoke. That's fine. Um, the other story that I'll, I'll mention real quick is um, we're only 15 minutes from the airport. When they were coming, I told my dad, let's go. It was me and my parents that were going to go pick up the family. And my dad says, oh, we, you know, we got time. And I said, no, no, we got to go. And we got there. And you know how you, like, you kind of want to be at the airport when someone comes through the, the, the terminal? Of course. I got there. My family was already there looking for their luggage. And I was like, oh, I missed this moment. Yeah. Um, but like the thing that I'll never forget is the embrace that I had with my wife. That was pretty, that was a pretty precious moment. Yeah. Um, but so we had that and then, um, we all moved in. Kids did the normal COVID during school or just long, you know, school during COVID. And my wife and I spent like the next year looking for a house because we all know what the housing market was like the past, past year. And then not until March this year did we find a house and we got a home. And my joke was that, um, so the house we bought is literally like three minutes from the house that we were rented. And so my joke was this move was shorter than the last move we made. And I kind of said, that's on purpose guys. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we're in a, we're in a home. We love the home. Your first home, right? The first home you've ever owned. Yep. My wife doesn't like to tell people that because she thinks she's too old to own a home for the first time. Oh, stop it. It makes my American dream theory so much better. So There you go. Um, <laughs> but look, we both love the home we're in. Um, and, you know, we're happy. Yeah. Well, I am certainly happy for you. And, and it's been fun to be um, a witness to at least the last couple of years as to how this has developed. Because it's, again, it's a for for the most part it's an immigrant story you know it really is you were gone for so long that it became an immigrant story and um i just i love that so much I'm so, like i consider myself a patriot and again back to the whole immigrant thing when immigration is 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 done in the united states it's it's like a nod to america's history it's that's it was a it's a melting pot to things uh, of the past and other cultures and countries so i think it's awesome yeah the only difference i guess would be that like even my wife was born here and so she's got her US citizenship and then when we came back I made sure everybody does. So I call it like immigration but not because you know we're all we're all Americans and <laughs> immigration with an asterisk. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like 
Yeah, I still, you know, I grew up here for 25 years, so this is home. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I remember meeting a colleague at a customer's um, place, and she says, where are you? And I said, I'm just here in the car park. And she laughed at me. She says, what's a car park? You know, so I still have my little Australian lingo, and the, then I just remember, oh, wait, I did live there for 15 years. I do talk yeah. a bit different sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, dude, you still have an accent. <laughs> I don't hear it, Mike. <laughs> I well. Okay. All right. Now, think back about all this change because we talked about a lot of it over the last 40 minutes. Think back to some of the tools that you have in your tool belt to be able to cope with the change. What kind of goes through your head during some of these changes? And and you might not even know the answer to this, but what I'd really like to understand is what coping mechanisms do you have? What how do you how do you center yourself? What what do you do? See the the funny thing is I um I if I could live somewhere different every few years I wouldn't mind um, and again I don't like to have like the same job so maybe I like change because I don't like if I was stuck in the same job for very long um, I like to change that um, and that's something we haven't talked about before is people who enthusiastically love change and maybe you fall under that category after all yeah i don't mind it um okay. but i think like that when you talk about tools that makes me think because i sit there and think oh what kind of tools do i use you know like i said one of them you know there's different books that i've read um that i, I don't i don't remember who read who wrote it but you know, like that book who moved my cheese i like that book you know, How to Win and Influence Friends, Dale Carnegie. I like that book. So I can't say that I'm a huge – I've slowed down on my book reading, but when it comes to, like, self-help books or books like that, I think those are great. Um, do I need to read them more? I do. But, like, I just think, again, I'm always going to go back to it. Attitude and positivity because I just think that if you – it's a choice. I can wake up in the morning and choose to be grumpy about my situation, about my circumstance, or I can wake up in the morning and think it is what it is, but how am I going to make today good? Um, the only hard part was like, you know, Christmas or flight cancelizations or prime minister canceling stuff. When I had no control, <laughs> that's challenging when you got no control. Um, but just keep in mind, you might not have control over that, but there's still something you do have control over. So make positive of the things that you do have control over. Great advice. Uh, and if you're in the market for a new book to read, I heard there's one called A Pro Wrestler's Guide to Confidence that is it's a pretty good one. So just... I need to I need to check that one out, don't I? <laughs> I heard I heard it's pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> Amazon tells me it's pretty good. All right, man. Well, hey, listen. Um, any closing comments at all? I, I, I appreciate you coming in, but uh, I, I also want to give you the platform if there's anything else that's come up um, to be able to, to continue to spread the word about uh, managing change. Uh, look, I just appreciate you having me on. I think it's one of those things where I talked about before. Um, you know, sometimes in your own life, you don't realize the things you do or to the things you don't do. And so you know, when you spoke to me before, I was like, oh, I guess I, I guess that does ring true for my own life, right? Um, but, you know, it was just 
nice to be here. Uh, nice to to have a chat. Um, I, the one, the other thing that I, I don't know if it's just a phrase or a saying, but the one constant in life is change. And so the one thing that we cannot get around, it will happen to everybody is change. And I think it's um, the one thing I like to think about is, you know, when you talk about adversity or trials or goals, sometimes they happen to us or sometimes we create them. And I say we create them is if you want to say to yourself, hey, I want to train to do this or I want to go to this college or I want to start this job, you're creating that challenge that you need. However, sometimes if you get an illness or if you get laid off or if you get in a car accident, then challenge challenges created not by you, but you're in the mix of it. So like, you know, it's just kind of keeping your eye. Hey, are you going to create your challenge or is challenge going to find you? And then how are you going to find your way out of it? It's great. Um, a lot of that hits home, as you know. Yep. But, uh, but hey, listen, I, I certainly want to say thank you for um, for a lot of things, but mainly today, just coming along with me on this journey and sharing your story with everybody. It, uh, it means a lot you were able to do it, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Again, I, I can't thank Hans enough for, again, humoring me in my endeavor to do a podcast. He just had such a great story, and I wanted all of you to hear it and be a part of it and hopefully be inspired by it because I certainly was. So thank you, Hans. It means a lot that you did that for me. You're a good friend. All right, everybody, a couple of housekeeping things before I turn you loose. You can find me on most of the social medias at A Wrestler's Guide. You can head on over to my website, aprowrestlersguide.com, and there you will find the link to purchase my book, which is still doing pretty well, by the way. Uh, the book is there. Merchandise is there. I've got another new T-shirt coming out this fall, I hope. Um, I've got a, a great artist who's working on another Cowboy Gator McGraw shirt, and it's so far I've seen some just a small snippet of what's to come, and he's really good. So that will be on a T-shirt soon. Um, if you're looking for a speaker at one of your events, please email me at support at a prowrestlersguide.com and I will work something out with you. Mention to me that you heard me advertising this on my podcast and I'll cut you an even better deal. Um, schools, businesses, anywhere you need a speaker, um, we can work something out. And I think that about wraps us up. I can't, uh, I cannot wait for Halloween. I know I've said that before and this is like the official unofficial Halloween episode. So we're not, it's not that spooky, but maybe next year. I've got a lot more planned before we wind down 2022 when it comes to this podcast. And I guarantee that I will have at a minimum one more episode to drop this year. Um, I did get a, a new job and I'm trying to learn that job. I'm a director of sales and marketing for a company now, and I am very, very busy, much busier than I've ever been, which is a good thing. But um, I, the frequency of this podcast at, in its infancy was going to be twice a month, and I realized very quickly that this is a very big job. So I pumped the brakes a little bit, and I said once a month will be good. And now that I'm you know, in this new role, it's, uh, it's very demanding, and I still want to be able to get episodes out pretty regularly. So now maybe it's kind of tipping on that six every six weeks or so. <laughs> um, I'm just going to pump these out. 
as often as I can. And I, I just appreciate all of your support, either watching the video and, and subscribing and, um, or you're listening to it and you're also subscribing on that platform. It just, it means a great deal to me for you to come along with me on these journeys is, is pretty important. So thank you for hanging out with me, tagging along with me. And, um, I hope to talk to all of you very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye.